One night, I was watching the 1947 version of Oliver Twist, David Lean's Oliver Twist, photographed by Guy Green. We're watching the movie, watching the opening scenes of the film of Oliver's mother in labor, walking across this dark moor. And uh, my uncle just happened to say, God, this photography is gorgeous. And I said, photography? That's when I learned what a director of photography was. I found out that I was unconsciously, that I was really responding to light. Scott, have you seen any movies that were shot by Robert Burks? I'm not sure. Who was he? Uh, Robert Burks. It's um, sort of a trick question. Um, When we did our episodes of Alfred Hitchcock, uh, you remember we talked a lot about movies he made in the 50s and 60s because those were some of his most impressive, greatest movies. Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest, The Birds. And it turns out that from 1950 to 1964, I was reading about this, uh, he shot 13 movies, Hitchcock, and 12 out of those 13 had the same cinematographer, same director of photography, Robert Burks. Uh, Psycho was the only one in, the, in that list that, that was shot by somebody else. Which is a, a really almost a low budget film for Hitchcock. And those other films have such a uniform style almost that there's a, a definite look to those movies. Right. And it and certainly Hitchcock has has very definite things associated with his style. But so do individual ph- photographers, cinematographers. And so at least some of what's going on in those movies it can be attributable to to that cinematographer. And obviously there was a reason why Hitchcock kept using that cinematographer over and over again. Um, this is something that's very common, actually more common than we might realize in movies because for, in general, the public thinks about the stars. Sometimes they think about the director or the composer, but directors of photography, the cinematographers aren't usually on people's radar, but I'll give you another example. Uh, Steven Spielberg, in the last 30 years, starting with Schindler's List and all the way up to his latest, The Fablemans, that's 20 straight movies, all the same director of photography, the Polish cinematographer Janusz Kaminski. And, you know, even for myself as somebody who feels like I'm into movies, I'm into direction, I'm into Steven Spielberg, I didn't realize this. Yeah. I had not heard this gentleman's name before. Right. And oh, he's a great cinematographer. He's won a couple Oscars for best cinematography, probably with, with Spielberg. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Saving Private Ryan was one of those and maybe one or two others. Um, and it's interesting because it brings up that whole issue of, you know, who's the author of the movie and and uh, the, the sort of auteur theory, the theory that the, the, the real author of the movie Uh, is the director that's been a dominant theory for a long time but in the last uh, decade or two people have started to go in a different direction going back again to the idea that film is a collaboration between so many people and historically the most important collaborator in many many movies has been the cinematographer or the editor you know as a student of film back going back decades Uh, The one cinematographer's name that always comes to mind is Greg Toland, who worked with Orson Welles 
uh, on Citizen Kane, but he also worked with so many other different directors. And yeah. that's the one name that sticks in my mind. Yeah, and Greg Tolan, I mean, there was a, a poll done of a bunch of contemporary cinematographers, and they were asked, who are the greatest cinematographers of all time? And they all listed lots of different ones, but the only name that was on every single one's list was Greg Tolan. And we should talk about him in a second, but uh, let's first make sure that clear what cinematography is, right? When you go back to the beginnings of movies, when movies were first made, I mean, first, in the very beginning, it was just the inventor of the camera or whatever running it. It was one person. But then once they started making, you know, little movies and employing actors and things like that, then you had someone that directed the actors, basically, told the story, maybe thought of certain shots, and then you had a second person, a two-person crew, basically, in, at the beginning, and that second person was the photographer, the person that did the motion picture photography. And so the collaboration between cinematographer and, and uh, director has always been critical. It, it's everything that you see, you know, photographer is primarily responsible for what the camera does, the composition of the shot, the lens that's used, the movement of the camera, but also the lighting. Uh, the great cinematographer John Alton wrote a book called Painting with Light. He said, that's what we do. We paint with light. So without cinematography, the screen is black. And uh, many films you can look at and go, this movie is a work of cinematography first, you know? Well, and then you, you, you talk about going back to the beginning. Of course, cameras weren't moving. So the first thing would be just the movement of, rather than just having it stationary. That's true. I mean, in, in, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, in the early days of film, the camera didn't move much. And one of the gr first great part, and we want to think about a, a director who started to move the camera a lot, we think back to probably the most famous early director that really sort of, in a way, launched Hollywood as an industry, D.W. Griffith. And Griffith had a partnership with one cinematographer, who Billy Bitzer, who was largely responsible for all his great early work. Um, with him. But you asked about Greg Toland. Uh, Toland was responsible for changes that happen in movies that are still extremely important today. Uh, you know, for the most part, up until the late 30s, early 40s, studios demanded a sort of high key, brightly lit look to everything. They wanted glamorous photography of the stars. And Toland was a leader in a movement uh, that eventually developed into things like film noir in the 40s and 50s that said, we're not afraid of the dark anymore. We can sh show things in a shadowy way. And they had more powerful tools, better lenses, better film. And they started to uh, do things that, that, for Toland, it culminated in the film Citizen Kane, where it had a look that no one had ever seen before, and it really changed filmmaking. And then you uh, going back to um, uh, Robert Burks uh, in in the 1950s with uh, Hitchcock. Then we, you've got color, widescreen, and then even more special effects as well. Yeah. So skipping through, you know, the 40s and the, and this 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 kind of revolution that changed the the sort of look of of black and white film. Yes. Then Technicolor. Technicolor started in the late 30s, but it didn't start to be widely used until the 50s, and and. To uh, deal with the challenge of television that was keeping people away from theaters, uh, a sort of smaller version of what's going on now, which is big time people are staying at home. But uh, 
uh, one of the, they, they said, what can we do to make movies better? Well, one thing was really good color because in the 50s, TV was still black and white. And then they experimented with, they started to shoot for the first time widescreen. They experimented with things like 3D. So uh, then you get this really impressive use of Technicolor in the, in the 50s. And there's a trend for things to try to be epic, you know, and be big, which following in the 60s, that's when... Uh, cinematographers and directors started breaking the rules. Yeah, as you get into the 60s and 70s, now all of a sudden you get cinematographers saying, we're not going to do these perfectly, these big widescreen, epic, perfectly clear Technicolor things. Let's make it look a little more realistic, a little more documentary style, which now is completely a dominant style in movies. You know, The idea of handheld shaking camera, a uh, camera that points into the light, you get lens flares, all that. That really started in the late 60s with a sort of anti-Hollywood movement and, uh, and, and still persists today. Although that was also influenced by the European films of the 50s as well. That's true. I mean, the European influence was a big part of what brought about the French New Wave and, and things like that or what brought about this. Uh, besides the fact that Hollywood was was getting kind of stodgy and, and, and it, uh, the studio system was collapsing. So all of a sudden there was more value in these independent filmmakers. And that's where a lot of the famous names we still think of today came out of Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and the sort of film school generation rose out of this, uh, sort of gritty, realistic, make a movie, almost documentary style on location, get away from studios. Um, and that took, very skilled cinematographers. And then you get into the 80s and the 90s, which things are changing as well. But um, this is like the uh, it's digital before it's pre-digital. Was that would you think of it in that way? I guess in the 80s and 90s, almost all films were still being shot on film. Today, as we speak, almost all films are shot digitally. A few directors are still shooting on 35 millimeter film, but even theirs immediately goes into a digital format, and that's how it ends up being shown in a in a theater. Um, but uh, in the 80s and 90s, it was still it was all being still shot. You couldn't shoot digitally; it was very low low quality. So it isn't really till the till this century that movies start to get shot digitally, and it's digital all the way through. And we've had conversations in the past about the digital so-called revolution now and that um, if the cinematographer is as important now as as the cinematographer has been in the past. Yeah, it's a good question because now every, you know, in some ways everything can be done in post-production. It's almost like it doesn't matter what you get. You know, in the old days, if they were shooting gathering location sound and they knew they were going to redub the sound in a studio anyway they didn't care that much if the sound was poor quality well obviously they don't want poor quality they want the best thing they can get in a camera but if it isn't quite right you know it no matter what it's going to go through all these different people digital colorists compositors visual effects supervisor and visual effects teams and they're going to change it so that could devalue cinematographers Unless they have the clout to say, I'm going to be involved in whatever you do in post-production, too. Well, that's another issue, too. So what does that mean when you say cinematographers have clout? Well, like, let's take a guy like Kaminsky, the, this guy who shot every Steven Spielberg film. I don't know this, but I, I think it'd be a reasonable guess that his contract allows him... They're not going to mess with what he shot. They're not going to change the color balance or the... Uh, the kinds of things they can do in post-production without 
his eye on it. So now where do you think we're going to we're, we're going now in terms of uh, with cinema and with cinematography? I don't know. It, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways, it doesn't matter, right? Sometimes we see a shot and we don't know if that shot was done on some location, done with a moving camera on a crane or a dolly, or was made entirely in a computer, essentially like video animation, but we don't even know it. You could ask, you could say, well, maybe it doesn't matter. It's the effect on the viewer. We won't, if it draws us in, we're not, the viewer is not too concerned with how it got there. So there is a lot of that. There's movies made where it's just actors in a, in a, big studio in front of a green screen you know think about the star wars movies and all the marvel stuff going on now at the same time there's so many things being made i just saw a movie that was you know a more traditionally shot small independent film that was the most beautiful cinematography it's a movie out uh just came out called the quiet girl it's a 2022 irish film and if you see this movie it's a very moving story with very moving performances about this uh, 10-year-old girl in Ireland um, in the 1980s. But what makes this movie, it's visual, and it's the work of the cinematographer. Traditional traditional photography, the way the shots are composed, the the way the the color and light looks. Uh, So good photography is certainly not dead. You can't do it all in post-production. All right. Well, thank you for this stimulating topic. Thank you, Scott.